Hey, this is Tim McGregor, and I'm the pastor of LOH Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. We're in a series called Nurtured in Nazareth, and it's a big, it's a little part of a bigger series in Ephesians. I've already preached one volume of Ephesians, and we're in volume two. There's going to be 360 more volumes to come. Kidding. 361, actually. Um, Hey, before that, though, growth track started again this past week, and I heard there was like 50 or 60 people here, and, uh, and, um... Uh, there was times for people to share why they're in LOH, and people were sending me texts about some cool testimonies and all that, and it's so encouraging. I'll tell you what Growth Track is. If you missed week one, come on out this Wednesday for week two. Growth Track is so important for our church because it, it talks. we talk about who we are. We talk about uh, the importance of you knowing who you are and why we do what we do and why we do it the way we do it. And how to stay in the know and in the flow with the people who are growing and going together in our church. So come on out for that on Wednesday uh, this week if you would like to. We, we need you to. So anyway, into this uh, series, second volume in the book of Ephesians with a working connection to the gospel of Luke. We're going to need both of those. Here's why. Because as we've said, the, 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 church, the church of Jesus Christ is, is really the body of Jesus Christ on the earth corporately. And every one of us individual people with the Holy Spirit in us are all representations of Jesus. And so the reason why we're going to keep connected to Luke is because Luke gives us an account of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the anointed Messiah, living on the earth, what was in his heart and what was in, on his hands and where his head, his face was pointed. And if we are the body of Christ, the church, then we can use Luke's gospel as a balancing scale to see whether or not the mission of our church, the vision of our church, and each individual person who is a part of his family, uh, we should each year, by this time next year, notice that the way Jesus lived his life is the way we're living ours. And the, and the, and the priorities of his life are the priorities of ours. Uh, we can truly measure our maturity by looking at Jesus and, and taking seriously that we are really his body. Now, today's message has a strange title. I've titled it, You, Me, and John B. And so I wrote this message weeks ago that I'm going to be speaking today, but I think the timing of it's very important. We are, of course, we all know, we are in very turbulent times. Remember the first message I shared in the Travel Pack series called uh, uh, Expect Attacks? Well, there are, we are seeing a manifestation in the physical of the kind of raging war that is always ongoing in the, in the invisible and in the spiritual. And so when turbulent times are, are, are manifesting in the earth, uh, it's so important to be a part of God's church. Because it, 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 if Jesus' presence is in a church, and I said if, 
I wish we could say everywhere there is a church, his presence is there. But if his presence is there, you can find solace. And uh, I'm telling you, we're going to have to, what's the Western Maryland Appalachian word? Scooch? We're going to have to scooch in, 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 in the service and, and, learn, and, and figure out some more scoochy ways. Because I just have a feeling, I don't know if you feel this yet or not, but regardless of what happens in the next week or something or over the next while, there, I think there are even going to be people who aren't necessarily uh, Christians but are going to be looking for arcs. And so we're going to need to scooch. Poland is scooching right now. You know what I'm saying? We're going to need to scooch here on Moss Avenue. So just be, be praying about that. Uh, but also what we need right now more than ever is people who are saying this to God. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. And so with that in mind, this is called You, Me, and John B., We've already prayed. I don't think he left the building. We're going we're gonna to lean on the prayer we already prayed. And we're going to move in. So being that we're in Ephesians, I want you to first of all see that the very first passage of Scripture is from Luke. So here we go. We're looking at John the, we're looking at John the Baptist as his ministry launches. He's already come out of being nurtured in Nazareth. Okay, we're going to go there in a couple of weeks more. And here he comes on the scene. When? Luke's always about details. In the 15th year. Am I too loud? Okay. I, that's fine. I just don't want, I might get loud and I don't want like to blow your hair back off the. Uh. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Idurea and Trachonitis and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, which is the river Jordan. It runs from the north all the way down to the deepest, dark southern part of Israel. And what was he doing? He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, which were written 600 years before this. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Um, Michael Card uh, uh, is, a, is one of my favorite singers. Uh, he, he did a lot of his famous Christian music back in the uh, 80s and early 90s. He still is. But he's not known uh, for, for, for being a scholar, which he is. And if you'd really like to go deep in studying scripture, especially the Gospels, he has a great, great uh, layman, layman commentary on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, with four of them, and they're great. Uh, easy to understand. He doesn't get too heady and nerd out too much. You'd love it. Um, I'm gonna, uh, he says something about John the Baptist here. He says he comes from the wilderness, the place of Elijah, with Elijah's message on his parched lips. It is not Jesus' good news message. 
In fact, for most people, it's terrible news because John comes preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, an unfamiliar baptism for the Jewish people because the only baptisms the Jewish priests and the people were aware of to that time was a baptism or the daily thing where, where the priest would get into the mikvah and, 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 and purify themselves with what, before they would offer up priestly sacrifices in the temple. The only other baptism offered was a baptism for a non-Jew who wanted to become a Jew in, in, in their religious faith. They got baptized in the mikvah. So John's preaching a baptism, and in it he says to the Pharisees, you need this baptism, right? And on and on. Uh, he preached with such fire that they thought it was the end of the world. I mean, they thought the world was coming to an end. And it was. The old world was. And a new world was coming in a not yet presence. And John was in between the old and the new, creating chaos on purpose from God. He wouldn't be the one to turn the world upside down, which would really be up right side up. Jesus would. But the people were trembling at this man's message. That's where we see him after he comes out of the nurturing of his early life. And we're going to go back to his nurturing time. Um, we must all be what I'm describing in these poetic terms of being nurtured in Nazareth. And I'm trying to unpack the meaning of this through the stories of the childhood of Jesus and the childhood of John because I want to convince you of the importance of, uh, of a church establishing a certain kind of environment in our church, in our homes, for our kids. But not only for our kids... For those of you who are new believers, if you're 50 or 60 or 40 or 20, that you need a nurturing environment just as these kids did. Um, imperative. Why? Because without this type of nurturing, things will get off track even if you're gifted. Even if you're in ministry. There are many ministries that aren't nurturing grace and they didn't come from being nurtured in grace. So many of us need to reimagine our faith. And we need to deconstruct some faulty maps in our minds and paradigms and foundations that aren't according to new covenant models that Jesus was bringing. And most of us don't think we need that. But the Ephesians study will show you that we do. So... You, me, and John B. Let's look at the nurturing of John the Baptist. I'm going to call him John the Baptizer, lest you think he was the first Baptist. <laughs> the Baptist church should not use John as their claim to fame. Because he was a baptizer. I don't know. If I walked into John's presence, he might look at me like he looked at everybody else and said, You, you snake, you. <laughs> Yikes. And I go. Um, so, all right. When Gabriel appears to Zechariah, who is John the Baptist's dad, old man in the temple, 
He says to him, he gives a description of this boy that's going to be born and, and gives me to give to you a description of a nurturing environment. You see it on the screen here, and you see the numbers. We're going to come back to those numbers, but we're going to break this down. I'll read it first. Gabriel says, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Now, Mama, that would be a kick, would it not? Shoo! There he goes again. He's dancing in the Holy Spirit in there. Yeah. Now, and, and, and the next he goes, and the child continued to grow and become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So um, there was a nurturing in Nazareth time. His mom and dad lived in the hill country in the Galilee where Jesus' mom and dad lived. Um, we don't know much about whether they knew each other, whether they fished together, whether they arm wrestled together, or wondered who could throw the rock farthest, or which, what girl they had a crush on growing up, or what. I don't know if they even were around each other. I don't. But they were very normal. But somewhere along that line, John left there and went into the desert and spent, many think, possibly years in the desert before the word of God came to him. So Gabriel, who is the angel who stands before the face of Yahweh among the fiery stones in heaven, he's sent to Zechariah and he's telling him and giving this description to, he, to Zechariah and Elizabeth how to nurture this boy. I want to break it down. You see number one in 2a? You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. In other words, a nurturing and Nazareth environment sees the glory of God on your kid and, and creates a, 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 an imagination, an a, a awakening of wonder in their toddlerhood and their childhood where they know that God has set his sights on them. There was a, a sweet little girl that came up here randomly and sat by me just a few minutes ago with a sucker in her. Who's giving all these suckers out there? I didn't get one. Huh? I'll tell you something. I thought we were close. Anyway, this little girl, God love her, was telling me out of the blue sky what kind of ice cream she liked. And then she started telling me the kind of ice cream that her family liked. And I was trying to listen, but they were blasting the music in here. And uh, so I was trying to listen, and I think she said something about either a sister or somebody else that didn't like a certain kind of ice cream and actually said they think it's disgusting. <laughs> and I sat there and thought to myself, this little one is great in the sight of the Lord. Where kids grow up in a celebration of acclamation under the glory of God's grace. Raise your kid like that. And then, guard their influences. To be. 
And he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. This isn't necessarily a proof text to say you should never drink wine or liquor. Although, there are, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible about how to walk in balance with that regarding making people stumble, about addiction, or about being under the influence of, right? But what he is saying here, it's a reflection back on the Old Testament view of the Nazarite vow that was meaning, I want this kid to be like Samson. I want this kid to be so set apart that the only, inf because the way they're going to present themselves in public, we don't want the world to think the influence is from something other than God himself. That's the point that's being made there. Okay? So, there, we want their influences, we want to guard them from... And then their influence would we want to make sure it's flowing to great waves of the ministry of the Holy Spirit coming toward our kids. Great waves of the Holy Spirit coming toward our kids. Okay? And three... A commitment to these things year after year after year. And the child continued to grow and become strong in spirit. My little Graham Slam, when he prays at dinner time, he says, God, make me strong. <laughs> I sit there and go, Bam! <clears throat> John B. was incredible. He was so great that the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, who was James's brother, son of Zebedee, James and John, that John wrote the Gospel of John. But John the Baptist was so popular. Now, watch this. Scholars think that the earliest John the Apostle could have written the Gospel was probably 80 AD, maybe later. So... It's probably about 24 AD when John is on the scene preaching, okay? And he, and, he, and he only preached around the River Jordan. When, when Paul goes to Ephesus in the 19th chapter of Acts, which is over 1,500 miles away from Israel, and they couldn't fly there, they walked. Some say that by the time Paul's three missionary journeys were over, it would have been like walking on foot from Los Angeles to New York four times. God, I'll go do whatever you say. Yeah? yeah? Let's go for a walk. I'll walk. And he walks with me and he talks with me. 10,000 miles I go. No car, no Uber. Okay? So my point is, when Paul gets there, he sees these disciples, and he notices there's something that they're missing, and then he says, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. And he goes, well, what baptism are you of? John's. So this thunder in the desert in the North Galilee has reached so many people by the time Paul gets to Ephesus, which is 1,500 miles away. That some of them were still believing that baptism. Can I tell you something even more than that? 
In 80 or 90 AD, John the Apostle has to write in the first chapter, boom, let's go there. Let's go there. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. Why would you need to say that? Has anybody, while you're in Target, walked over and said, excuse me, are you the light? I mean, Dustin's close. I heard him preach last week. And I was watching it from Los Angeles way too early in the morning. I thought, is he the light? <laughs> he was not the light. Why would you need to write that? Because, you know what? In Ephesus, when John wrote that, there was a cult of John the Baptist. And do you know that this very day, that there is a sect of people in the world called the Mandians who worship John the Baptist as the Messiah. Isn't that crazy? Today. He was incredible. Incredible. They came from Jerusalem and they asked him. Let's go to the next one. This is where we tie us in. The John B.I.D. is like you and me. This was the testimony of John when the Jews sent him priests and Levites from Jerusalem. This was like the big place, right? And uh, they said, who are you? Who are you? And then they asked him this. Have they asked you this in the Chick-fil-A line? Are you the Messiah? <laughs> are you? The Messiah? You know, there's some people that would say, well, now that you say it. <laughs> Come to think of it. What's he say? No. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Dude, do you realize how... What a rock star this guy was? That, that they think you could possibly be the reincarnation of Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? That's from Deuteronomy. Moses said God's going to raise up a prophet. A certain prophet. And he's going to be, are you him? No. They said, well then who are you? Because we were sent here to find out who you are. And if we go back with no answer, we're in trouble. What do you say about yourself? Let me stop. Let me ask over here. Christian, Jesus-loving, rapture-bus-waiting believer. What do you say about yourself? Besides what church you go to. What do you say about yourself? You know how important it is to know that? There's a guy who was known as a contestant on Dancing with the Stars and a comedian who is now standing in the midst of a, of a country defending his people. He ain't no comedian. He's courageous. 
when it's time for you to come on the scene or when the scene's coming on you, what do you say about yourself? And he says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now here's the thing. We are the same kind of different as John. Now I've met a lot of people who are like John in the weird parts. They don't necessarily eat locusts and wild honey and have bugs on the side of their lip. Or come to church with an aura. I've met some granola believers, flakes, fruits, and nuts through the years. John would have probably fit in that until you heard him speak. <clears throat> you with me? There are people who look like John the Baptist, but they don't got what John the Baptist had. Have you ever anybody been in church a long time? That it takes a grace of God for you not to be completely sarcastic? Shoo, <laughs> <laughs> baby, I can tell you some stories. Where I've been, what I've seen. There was at one point that I said before, I believe in all the manifestation gifts of the Spirit that I believe they're relevant and should be happening today, but just most of the times I've seen them, they weren't really God. Anyway, let's go on. We are the same kind of different as John in this. Number one. Who are you must be grasped and guarded and continually given to the Lord. That's why we're doing our best in the growth track to have a create a, create a night where you can see your you see yourself in the mirror of the gifts and the personalities and all that's for a reason. Who you are must be grasped and guarded and given to the Lord. Who, John knew who he was. And just as importantly, he knew who he wasn't. Second, every one of us, every one of us in the body of Christ has a specific ID before Jesus. You're, you're, you're Simon, son of John, but I'll call you. wonder what he would call you. Jesus has a name that no one knows but he himself, and I think he has a name that only he knows about you and wants you to know it. Our specific ID, listen closely, listen closely, listen closely. Our specific kingdom ID unfolds only as we walk closely with Jesus and the wise in the word and the ways of the Holy Spirit. In order for your specific ID to unfold where you can't be talked out of being the one to charge the giant or to stand before Pharaoh or 
to not sit on a throne that even your father says is yours and give that throne to a shepherd boy in covenant loving that person more than you love yourself. If we could find second and third chair Christians who were ordained to be in the second and third chair instead of wanting to be in the first, we could move this city. Our specific ID unfolds only if we walk closely to him and the wise in the word. And I don't mean the wise that are preaching the word in Los Angeles or... uh, Charlotte, and I'm not saying it, I don't say not to listen to them. I say download whatever. I'm talking about in community in your Nazareth. I don't have time to once again address the deceptive voices that are saying church isn't important in this day. But the general ID. There's a specific ID for you, Jericho, right? But our general ID as Christians can be found in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the heartfelt study of the book where we're all the same, but we're different. So you get it? Now, the difference between us and John is that John's specific ID actually was mentioned in the book. I can only imagine. I got the song, right? Somewhere along the line of him reading the prophet Isaiah, somewhere. I can picture it. This is my imagination. He's reading the 40th chapter, which there weren't chapters, there were scrolls. He's reading it and something's bubbling up in his soul. His DNA is just firing off. And he's, and he's seeing and he's feeling and he's stirred and he's heard from mama and daddy what the angel said. He never saw him himself. But the spirit of God is in him like no one's ever known in the world ever. <clears throat> Jesus said among men there's never been a man born greater than John. And somewhere along the line I can picture it. He's like crying out. And he reads it this time and it says a voice says cry out. And I think John went, what do I cry out? And that's what it said in there. You talk about the flux capacitor and Marty McFly in the DeLorean. You time travel 600 years back and it's like Isaiah saying, you're him, man. What do you do with that? I think that's what happened to him. The only one that had more traumatic experiences than that is Joseph's son, who's reading, he was crushed for my iniquity. How do we walk this out? How do, how do we walk this out? Here's what I'm trying to get across. Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me. Please, well, I didn't mean to boss you. I'm, Look at this verse next. John answers them. 
this is so powerful. This is so powerful. Don't jump over John to get to Jesus. John answers them. Listen, you, you, you. a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. So we can receive all kinds of... He's talking in the context of being your kingdom self in your life, living before you die, and, and, not, and, and not dying before you live. Painting your portrait in the presence of the king and not just in your own home where no one can see it, right? Give it up for Adaya, right? I'm saying. $350? Good job. I so admire this. I want to be that. I do, because my personality is, I want to be a preacher, a basketball player, a painter, and a play-by-play -play analyst on the NFL. And a power forward, a bot stuff, and a fifth beetle. Anyway. And I wish I could hit the ball straight. Man, what a God. Okay, where was I before I got off track? That's another part of my talent. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You, wit you yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ. One of the best ways to avoid burnout in the ministry is to wake up every morning and go, I am not the Christ. And when you've been to the hospitals 31,000 times in five years, tell your congregation, I am not the Christ. That's for future people. There was a time if I'd have said that in this church, half the church would have left. Yeah, I ain't joking. <laughs> to live out our kingdom ID specifically, we have to receive the gift of that identity from God. That's why the celebrative awakening the wonder in the childhood of a kid is so vitally important so that they actually have such a level of faith in God's view of them that they will go out even prematurely and tell their brothers, I had a dream. And you guys, you were just saying, you were all bowed down to me and so was mom and dad. Which was true. And David. My favorite part of the story of David is not when he kills Goliath. It's when he, it's when he goes up to the army and says, who is this? This is my day. And he mocks David and says, you bring a flea to me. I'm going to take him and feed him. And David turns around and says, no, 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 no. I'm going to cut your head off. And then he runs at him. That's, a, that's not a children's... Ch I hope we get to see that. I hope we get there. I was like, can you take us back to the couple... I'd love to see a couple things.
And David was so gnarly that he took Goliath's head with him home and put it in his tent. <laughs> Dang, man. What would David be doing over in Ukraine right now? Anyways, let's go on. I started feeling a little David this past week. I posted something. I thought, oh, I shouldn't have posted that. Because I'm living over here. And like, anyway, let's keep going. Do you like this one today? Yes. I got it off the internet. You can find them too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a light around Dustin this morning. Do you see it? See it? does a great job at growth track. And he did a great job last week. I can't let him do it too much because you guys don't want me to preach ever again. I'm kidding. Second thing. Let's go on. Thanks, guys. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. They're trying to make John the Messiah. And he said, wait, wait, wait. The metaphors are real. And there's this, there's this guy that's among you. You don't know him. I know him. He's the groom. He's coming for a bride. But here's how he calls himself. We're the same kind of different as John. We receive our gift, and then we're this too. Here's who we are. A friend of the bridegroom. Don't you love that? The Hebrew idea of this is the word shashbin. It's the Jewish best man. He's the best man. He calls himself Jesus' best man. How many of you that have been married had a really great best man? Raise your hand. One. Yeah? You had a really great best man? Yeah? I was going to ask how many didn't, but I already know that answer. Yes, <laughs> <Just> night. <laughs> Poor. I'm sorry. <laughs> that wasn't funny. Anyway, John calls himself the Shoshbin. Now, here's the thing. You know what a Shoshbin did? A Shoshbin never left the side of the, of the groom. Never left the side, made sure everything was arranged properly, did it from the bottom of his heart. And when, and when... The wedding took place, just like in our ceremony, the shashbin, in honor, in honor by the groom, stood at his right hand. But you know what John did? John described himself in another way. He said, I'm not worthy to unstrap the latchet of his sandal. I'm not worthy to do that. Do you know who unstrapped the latchet of men's sandals? Slaves. And John said, I'm not even worthy to do that. And you think about your gift, and when Charisma Magazine calls you and says that you're the bishop of, and the apostle too, and prophet this and prophet that, Put that little thing in, your, in, in God's balancing scales with the greatest person ever born of women. 
named John. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands, stands in who he is, and hears him, hears the joy of his life, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. In other words, I don't want my gift to drown out the voice of his. Come on now, right? Come on now. You know, what, you know where this comes from? This comes from waves of the Holy Spirit influencing him as a kid. This comes from an awareness of an identity that continues to be brought up in the home of his family. This is, this is going on in Nazareth. This is going on in a nurturing environment that didn't stifle him or suffocate him or press on him the image of his dad or somebody else. He was allowed to be breathable and become this person. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. We're the same kind of different as John. We're exactly like that. We are to receive by grace under the glorious face of God because of the blood and stand and hear it in the midst of a community of faithful people so that when the greatest moment set up for us to become the American idol is ours for the taking, we say... He must increase, but I must decrease. We say, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth. There's always a difference and a distance between who Jesus is and who we are. I summed it up by writing this out. This is mine. You can feel free to use it. Until you make money, then it's mine. Now you use it, my dear friend who forgot my sucker today. That's your mulligan. I love, I lo don't you love Roberta? Let's just love everybody today. Love them all. Love everybody. That's my name, TG. Our predestin our pre this is what this means to me. Our predestined election in the mind of God is a promise created from his heart. It's a personal poetic expression. You know the Ephesians 2 tenets is you are his masterpiece or workmanship. The Greek word is poem poema. It's where we get the word poem from. We are a poem. Our, our individual unique gift is to be like a poem read by people. I'm glad he didn't say a fact sheet. He said a poem. A personally unique identity. Now watch this. That must be connected to his plan, must be connected to his son, must be connected to his people. Hey, all you guys that are saying church is irrelevant, how do you do the one another's? Just you and your wife? You and your friend? How do you do the one another thing? Come on, man. 
as we all prepare for the king's arrival. Because after all, everything John was doing, John thought it was the end of the world. He thought this, this and so did the disciples, didn't they? So did everybody who, that's what he was coming, the, the king was coming. Let's go back to this one again. I'm going to bring it home now. And the child continued to grow and become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Listen, he didn't bring the word of God to them before God brought the word of God to him. Now, let me bring this home to 2022, 2032, 2042. To your house, my house, and God's house. John B. is nurtured after he's born, and then the word of God comes to him when he's ready to come on the scene. Prior to John coming on the scene, 400 years went without a prophet speaking from God. 400 years. When John came, 400 years had passed. That 400 is interesting. When Moses saw the burning bush and heard the call to go and save Israel from the Egyptian Pharaoh, 400 years had passed from when God told Abraham, I'm going to take your people into the land of promise. 400 years. From a moment of promise. 400 years, man. 2022 minus 400 years is 1622. That's two years after the pilgrims came on the Mayflower. Sometimes we could think, because it's been a long time, it's over. Oh, America's been... I'm sure that every time God came with a new thing, those people at that time thought it was over, or the end of the world. It was the beginning. This, mom, mom, dad, are you listening to this? No. Okay. I can't read minds. I, I, I can't. This, I want you to listen real closely to this. In the Old Testament story of Samuel, he was three years old when Hannah, his mother, took him to Shiloh, which was, oh, miles away at least a day's journey, and dedicated him to be a little priest and live at the temple with the priesthood. Three years old. And what's beautiful about her story is she made a little priestly garment for him. Imagine. The pre and, 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 and every year she'd go up with a new one because she didn't want the old priestly garment to confine him. She made one that was breathable. Hear the nurturing idea there, parenting our kids? But it was a priestly garment for him. This is what I love about this. I want you to think about this in terms of all these kids. Right? The move. Shine. Nursery. Samuel is laying in the 
holy place, it's where he slept. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old. I don't know how old. And God spoke to him. Samuel! He wakes up. He goes, here I am. And he runs. He thinks it's Eli the priest. And the writer of Samuel says, Samuel had yet to know the Lord or to discern the word of the Lord. That means God could be speaking to some kids before they know him. Imagine us investing everything we have as a church to create such a space and an environment for these kids. And some of them don't know him. But it's such an environment that God is speaking to people before they know who he is. God is raising up a movement of young men and women, not just one man or one woman, but a movement because the body of Christ is going exponentially anointed. Beyond one person, beyond a great preacher of the past. And that's what he's doing now. And what he wants to continue to do. This has been the fire that's been burning in me for 10 years. It started at Catalyst when I heard him say, go young to me while Craig Rochelle was speaking and after Christine Kane preached back to back with him. And, it, and, and it, 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 it put something inside of me that crowned a vision that God gave me in 1990. Let's see, Devin was two years old when I started pastoring this church. And before that, I was laying on the floor of my mom and dad's basement thinking my ministry was over because no doors would open and I knew I was supposed to stay here. I had opportunities to go to Alabama. I had opportunities to go to Virginia Beach. I had opportunities to go to North Carolina, voted in and unanimously to churches and the Spirit of God just said, I didn't want to start a church because I had respect for the men of God in here and we didn't need another church. We still don't. We need the church to be the church, but right. and I'm laying on the floor saying, "God, where'd you, I missed you missed me." And I, all of a sudden, I saw these pictures. I saw these kids, these little kids, in this in this downpour of rain, dancing with joy and just blown away excitement, like a like a one of the they opened the fire hydrant in the city street, and it was just dousing them but it was it was rain coming down from heaven and uh and then in a second i saw this big rolling green plush meadow and these little white sheep that were whiter than white whiter than white whiter than you can make white white and they were just so peaceful and i heard the lord say that's the church you're going to pastor and it reminded me of a passage, and so I went to this passage in Ezekiel 34. Listen, if you get a vision and it doesn't come from the scriptures, 
It's probably of your own imagination, but if it comes from the scriptures, take a look at it twice. And write the vision down and make it plain so that someone else can run with it. So, I saw that in 1993. And in the mid-2000s, our church had flatlined after we built this building. And so the Field of Dreams thing, if you build it, they will come. That's a lie. (laughs) And pledge money is as real as Monopoly money. (laughs) And I walked through that. I rode that horse on the rodeo for a lot of years. And there were seasons and times in that time that if we had 70 people in this place, I thought the Great Awakening was happening. I would teach 15 weeks, a a college-level course on the book of Hebrews on Wednesday night, and it was packed out with everybody that was in my family. (laughs) I felt like bringing my Yorkie along just to... That's all! Every day going to the office I knew was one day. Tim, it's not Tim McGregor Day. That's what I knew. That went on for a very long time. If a prophet, would, a, a real one, would have come into my office and said, I have a word for the Lord. You know, in, uh, in, uh, in 2014, uh, 20, uh, you know, uh, you're going to be talking 400. You're going to have to get chairs instead of this. You're going to go two services. You're going uh, to have so many kids. You're not going to want to do with them. You're not going to want to do with the people and all this. I would have been cordial and nice, but after they left, I would have thought, ain't no way. You get so beat down that you could have a burning bush blazing right in your bedroom and you wouldn't know it was God. But here we are. Do you know where you are? I don't know if you know where you are. Do you know that most churches around don't have a percentage of demographic of our age group that this one does? And do you know that that has nothing to do with me? Because I am the same fool now that I was when I preached and they left. I'm doing the same thing today I was doing then. But there's a God who has a jealous passion to place in this city at least one representation of a safe environment for sheep to find rest and for him to launch their life that will not only touch this city but will touch cities around the world and he wants to speak and I've got one foot in now and my big foot in 10 years from now. So, so, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, there we go. Here is where I'm talking to you. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift from whom the whole body, here it is, right, right, being fitted and held together by what? By what? Every joint 
What's the next word? Supplies. Supplies. According to the what kind of working? Proper. Is your representation here proper in the eyes of Jesus? Where'd the clapping go? Again, if we're a retirement club, enjoying good coffee and good music, and the light on Dustin's face, it's all good. But if we have a calling to establish a multi-generational expression that this city must have. Listen, I don't know if you've heard this, but I've heard this from the Lord so many times. Tim, this church must survive. This church must fulfill her mission. Every joint supplies proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up itself in love. That's a nurturing environment. My friends, we are headed up a road which must be traveled because I, don't, I can't tell you what's coming next in the world. And we have to be here. We have to be here. And we have to be the called, the chosen, and the faithful. This is our moment to reveal the coming of the king. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how large you see yourself, or how small you see yourself. What God wants to do is huge. So here's what we need. We need this church to be spiritually strong. Every joint supplying. We need this church to be relationally healthy. Every joint supplying. Here we go. We need this church to be financially abundant. Oh, he said the F word. That's the church F word. Right? You want to stir up the devil in a church? Preach on money and marriage. And you'll draw spirits that haven't had anything to do for centuries. Why? Because God wants a strong healthy, financially abundant church to service the purposes of God 10, 20, 30 years down this road. If we do this thing the way we're doing it with God guiding us, this building is too small. 
I don't know what's coming in the world, but I don't even think we're going to need an evangelism program for people to come to church. Even unsaved ones. Not necessarily to be saved, just because I've got to find somewhere in my town where I can get out of crazy for a little while. Anybody else feeling that? So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want everybody to stand. I've preached, well, you know what? I don't, I'm sorry guys. I, um, we are, uh, when, I, when I come here to preach, my goal is not to get done. My goal is to get you and me undone. Where by two o'clock this afternoon, he's still messing with you about every joint supplies. I ask you, to consider today that you will create space before we leave here for you to get on your knees down there by the sandals of his feet. For you to get on your knees down by the sandals of his feet. under the hand of the king and let him address your definition of every joint supplies. I challenge you today, before you go out there, to get down on your knees where his sandals are and let him define what proper working of every individual part means to you and him in the Lighthouse of Hope Church. Who are you? I'm a voice of one in the way I live my life as a friend of the bridegroom is to make his way straight so when he comes when he comes on Sunday, when he comes on Monday, when he comes on Tuesday, that the way is straight for him to come with no rocks in the road in my path. Holy Spirit, this is your moment. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.